All right, I'm going to get back to talking about hope and uh, the power of hope. And uh, the last thing I was talking on was showing you that hope is, uh, well, I'd already made the point that hope is your imagination. That's a big part of hope is you have to get your imagination involved and you have to start seeing what God is saying about you coming to pass. You need to let the Word of God paint pictures on the inside of you so that you can see what God says about you. You know, and I was thinking about this this week, listening to my own teaching, that I think this is why the teaching on spirit, soul, and body became so alive to me is because I had these truths that I was the righteousness of God. I had seen it, but I couldn't, I couldn't see how I was righteous because I was looking on the outside instead of looking on the inside. And when I found out that it was in the spirit that I was made new and that I became a brand new man, I was able to see myself in Christ. I have a vision of who I am in Christ. I see myself spiritually and not physically. And I think that's one of the reasons that just impacted me so much. For the first time, I could see myself the way that God saw me. And I tell you, that's big. And I think there's a lot of people, probably people even right in here, that you have some knowledge and some understanding, but you know what? You don't see yourself the way that God sees you. You still see yourself with all of your you know, problems and stuff and the things that you're disappointed with. And that's the way you see yourself. But God sees you in the Spirit. You need to change the way you see yourself. That's in your imagination. You need to see this. And so anyway, we were talking about this and I was relating your understanding is tied to your imagination. And I used this verse out of Luke one fifty one, where Mary said, He hath showed his strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. That exact same word, the Greek word is dianoia, I believe is the way you pronounce it. And uh, it's, it's uh, a compound word. And it means not just thought, but it means deep thought. And this same word is translated understanding in I think 14 other times in the New Testament. Here's some of the ones we dealt with uh, yesterday. Matthew chapter 22 verse 37. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's the same word that was translated imagination. And I believe it gives... It gives added meaning to it and helps you to understand it. If you'll recognize that we are supposed to use our mind to imagine what God has said about us and His promises to us and the direction He's given us, we need to do that and see it come to pass. Same thing is said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the same quotation. It's just in a different gospel. And the same thing is said in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, just a different gospel. Here's another verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, The eyes of your understanding. He's praying for us that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we might see or we might know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. See right here, it links understanding, which this is that same word that was translated imagination. It links all of these things, hope, and imagination and understanding all together in one verse. And so I believe that when this says that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, I believe that this is talking about your heart. It's not talking about your physical eyes. It's talking about the eyes of your heart that you would be able to see with your heart. 
And so if anybody is receiving this teaching and saying, man, I, man, I receive this. I see how important it is. How do I get there? You can take Ephesians chapter 1. This is a prayer that Paul prayed and pray this prayer. And just put your name in there. And say, Father, I pray that the eyes of my understanding, Andrew's understanding, will be enlightened, that I can see with my heart the hope of his calling. Man, that is powerful truth right there. I think I also used this verse yesterday, Ephesians 2, 3. It says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That word mind there is this same Greek word, dianoia, and it's talking about your understanding, your imagination, hope, all of those things, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And I was pointing out that your imagination is the conception, again, that same word that was used in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that was translated, uh, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him. That exact same word was translated imagination in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 11, 9, all these other places. And that word means conception. And so your imagination is where you conceive things. And when you had these lusts in your mind, this is talking about your imagination, you just fulfilled those things. Whatever your imagination is focused on, your uh, life just begins to start conceiving it. It comes to pass. So this is kind of a, a comparison that a lot of people might not like. But you know what? When you imagine negative things, it's like you've had intercourse with the devil. You conceive things. And it starts bringing it to birth. And then people say, well, I don't want to commit adultery. And so they try and have an abortion. But you know what? You've watched things that glorify adultery. You watch love stories where people aren't married to each other. There is no commitment. It's completely contrary to God's word. And yet you watch these things. You let these things get in your imagination. You think that way. And the moment you do, you conceive something. And then you're drawn towards lust. And you wonder, why am I having so much time living a holy life and resisting these things? It's because you've conceived stuff. And you have to have an abortion along the way. You know, we would sit there and tell a woman who uses abortion as the way to keep from giving birth to unwanted children that that's wrong. What you need to do is exercise a little self-control. And you need to not have the physical relationship, not abort a living child. We would say that, Christians would say that, but then Christians all of the time are in a sense having intercourse with the devil and allowing negative things to be conceived in your uh, imagination and then you don't want to give birth to it. The only way to do that is to have an abortion and it's traumatic. Amen or oh me. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 it says having the understanding that same word, dianoia again is talking about deep thought. It involves your imagination. It said, it, in the previous verse, it says, Don't be as the Gentiles who walk in the vanity of their mind. And then this says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. If, you, if your imagination is conceiving wrong things and focused in the wrong direction, it, it blinds your understanding. It deadens your understanding. Man, that's a major statement. You know, I've seen this in my life. That it, I don't go out and just, you know, watch X-rated movies. I don't go out and, 
and sin, do dope and do stuff like that. But you know what? I do get busy sometimes with the ministry and other things more than I'm supposed to be. And I have learned that there is a direct relationship when I am focused on the Lord and I'm keeping my mind stayed on Him. I have an ability to perceive things and understand and put things together and communicate at a different level than when I've just been busy and not able to do it. It hinders your ability to understand and comprehend when your mind is not stayed upon the Lord. If you are plugged into this world and if you know everything that there is to know about this world, you are going to be spiritually dull. That's just the way that it is. The knowledge of this world is contrary to spiritual knowledge and it, and it darkens your understanding. It darkens your imagination. Your imagination cannot be going this way, dreaming about the awesome things of God and seeing His will coming to pass and at the same time over here dreading all of the things that are happening in the natural. It's just you can't go in two different directions at one time. If you are occupied with all of these natural things over here and operating in fear and your imagination is captivated by all of the terrible things that are going on, it will hinder you from receiving from God. And vice versa, if you are focused on the things of God, it'll just keep you positive. Who cares what goes on in the world? You know, Pastor Bob was making some of these points last night that, man, our kingdom is the kingdom of heaven and Romney's not our savior and it doesn't matter who really who get, it does matter. I'm saying we should vote, but at the bottom line, we are members of a greater kingdom and I'm going to rejoice and praise God regardless of who gets in. Amen or oh me. Colossians 1.21, it says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. That word mind there is this same word, dianoia, that was translated imagination, understanding. And this is talking about that you get alienated from God through your mind by wicked works. We need to watch what we focus our mind, our imagination upon. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. That's the exact same word. And write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Again, I believe that you could use the word imagination in there. You could use it interchangeably. You have to see God's laws written in your imagination. You have to be able to see that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds will I write them. And again, this is that same Greek word for minds there, dianoia. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this is talking about that we have to gird up the loins of our mind. You know, this is a word picture that in the old days these guys wore robes, and to be able to run, you couldn't run in a dress very well. So they would reach down and grab the back portion of their robe and pull it up and tuck it into their belt here. Then it, it would make kind of like shorts or something and you could run. And that's to gird up your loins meant that you needed to prepare for battle. You needed to be prepared to be able to move and do things. And this is saying that we need to recognize that we're in a battle and we need to be prepared for it. When, and the way you do it is through girding up the loins of your mind. Again, this is the same word that was translated imaginations. 
So I believe that you can just see this in all of these verses, that your imagination plays a major factor in everything that we do. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You know, I made a direct link yesterday or the day before between your remembrance and your imagination. Over in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18, David was praying and said, O Lord, keep this forever in the thoughts of the imagination of their heart. And he, he was talking about memory. And the way you remember is with your imagination. And so this is saying that he wants to stir up your pure minds, that same word that was translated imagination in Luke 1, 51. He stirs up your imagination by remembrance. So again, it's linking your memory to your imagination. If you don't have a vivid imagination, you will forget the things that God has done. You need to go back and spend time using your imagination and remembering what God has done. You know, I build markers. The, the Old Testament said that you were supposed to put up markers uh, commemorating things that God has done. Uh, Samuel uh, raised this stone and called it Ebenezer, which means hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And it was talking about where they went out and defeated the uh, superior number of the Philistines. And he put this stone up and called it Ebenezer. In the Old Testament, they were commanded not to take away a neighbor's landmark. And there were times that you were commanded to make landmarks. They put stones in the Jordan River where they crossed the Jordan River. They did all of these things to remind themselves. And you know, you need to have markers in your life that remind you of God's deliverance. This is the reason they had the feast days. The Passover was to keep them in remembrance so that they would never forget. It's said in those terms. It says you do these things so that you will never forget that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and I brought you out. And it's just amazing how people tend to forget. We were commanded in Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The reason he commanded you not to forget is because it's your tendency to forget. You will forget if you don't make a deliberate effort. And part of remembering is this imagination. You need to go back and spend time thinking about the awesome things that God has done, picturing them, reminding yourself. That is so simple. You know, this man who helped me get started in the ministry, Joe Nay, good friend of mine, and he was kind of my mentor at first, but we went different directions. This guy had some problems, actually fell into sexual sin, lost his church, got out of the ministry, and God used me to help get him back into the ministry. And to this day, he's still preaching the gospel. He's 20 years older than me, and he's still preaching the gospel and going, and, and we visit with each other every once in a while. But when he started back into ministry, our relationship was restored. I took him to Phoenix with me, and we held a meeting together, and we ministered at night. But during the day, we would drive around, and we would just visit. And it had been like 20 years since Joe had, and I had been real good friends and fellowship. And I was just so excited to be visiting with Joe. And during the day, I would just talk and I'd say, Joe, do you remember? And I would talk about all of the miraculous things. I mean, we had things happen that were just like right out of the book of Acts. It was miraculous things happen. I mean, miracles happen. We were sitting around talking one night. 
and reading the book of Acts about a rushing mighty wind. And we were, you know what we were doing? We were imagining. We had already read the story. But then we were discussing it and saying, do you think things like this could still happen? We were still in the Baptist church when this happened. Do you think things like this could still happen? Do you? And we were sitting there talking, and I mean, all of a sudden, it was like a hurricane hit. And we had the screen door open, and the, and the curtains were just blowing, and yet we had a candle lit, and that flame never flickered. It was spooky because there was a wind. There was a wind, and yet there wasn't a wind. And I got so scared. Man, I jumped in my car. We drove home. I got in my bed and put my covers over my head as if that was going to protect me or something, you know. And I was visiting with Joe and I was telling about that and about the time we held a meeting and it rained so much. We drove out onto the, it was a tent meeting. We drove out onto the field and our cars sunk down to the axles. And there was no way we could have the meeting. And it, they were threatening tornadoes that night and all kinds of things. And, and we just went over to Joe's house and we had spent three or four months planning this thing. It was a big deal. Matter of fact, Martha's brother, Steve, was with me when we did that. And we went over to Joe's house and just got to talking, what are we going to do? No cars can park in this field. And, and we said, but you know, we've, God's done so many miracles to get us here. How can this be? And we just decided we'd pray. And we prayed for three or four hours and just got happy and got to praising God. We didn't know enough to rebuke anything or to claim anything. We didn't know what we were doing, but we were just, after we got in the presence of the Lord, we were just excited. And when we came out, the sun was shining. We thought we'd go check it again. And you could take the dirt that we had just sunk up to the axles in four hours before, and you could take the dirt and throw it in the air and it would blow away. And everything around there, every field around there was still mud except that one. And I was sharing with Joe and about how we needed a utility pole and we went to Dunkin' Donuts after our morning prayer session and a guy walked in and he says, do you guys need a utility pole for your tent? <laughs> it was a $6,000 utility pole. We had no money in. We just, and I was remembering all of these things and I was talking about all this and finally Joe just yelled at me and he says, stop! <laughs> I said, what's the matter? And he says, I don't want to hear this anymore. I said, what's the matter? And he says, I don't remember any of these things. He says, it's like I wasn't even there. I don't remember any of this stuff. And you know what? I think that's one reason that Joe wound up walking away for a period of time and getting into trouble is because he didn't remember the goodness of God. I go back, I spend time every day of my life just thanking God and remembering how good God has been, which is your memory. And this is what it says, that you stir up your pure minds by remembrance. You need to spend time rehearsing the victories. You need to have some markers in your life of things that God has done. And you need to remember those. I've got a thing on my computer where I have dates listed of major miracles that have happened in my life, times that God has touched me, and I go back and I remember it. I had a time on, March, on August the 25th, 1999, when I was building this trail. It's a long story. But this boulder rolled over my head. This boulder is about, I don't know, it's, it's that high. It's probably three foot wide and two foot, two and a half foot tall. And this thing, I slipped and it... Uh, caught on my hand and rolled and hit my head and bounced over. It should have killed me. 
Jamie said as soon as she heard that it hit my head, she knew I'd be all right. But this boulder rolled over my head and honestly, I thought it was the end. I thought I was dead and I jumped straight up in the air and I ran a quarter of a mile. I don't know why, just, I just ran a quarter of a mile down the road going, I'm healed in the name of Jesus because I was afraid to look and see how bad things were. And did you know my hand was swollen up for a couple of weeks or something, but Really, very minor damage, and I could have been dead. And I've got a, a sign there that says, On this date, August the 25th, 1999, God saved my life when this boulder rolled over my hand, arm, and head. And then I wrote down Psalms, I think, 116-something that says, The Lord preserves the simple. <laughs> and I got, this, I got this marker there, and I walked by that thing, and I remember that right here, Jesus saved my life. Every time I go to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I go by our house where I grew up. I go by the field where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues for the first time. And I just sit there and look at that. And I can go all over that city and I can show you dozens and dozens and dozens of places where I had supernatural encounters with God. And I never go back there that it doesn't just stir me up. That's what this says. You stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And you know, it's your imagination. And if you don't remember things, if you let long periods of time go in between when you remember and when you picture things, did you know that your memory will change? I saw this another time I went back. And when I was a kid, there was this place that I used to ride my bikes through, my bike through. And in my mind, it was this huge forest. It was so dense that when you were in the bright sunlight and you would go through this little trail into these trees, it would be so dark your eyes couldn't adjust and you'd hit a tree or something like that. I mean, it was dark in there. It was such this huge wood. And in my mind, it was just this huge, huge forest. And I used to go in there and dream all kinds of things. You know, I went back 30, 40 years later and found that place. And I bet you that stand of trees wasn't as big as this room. It's just a little tiny short thing. It wasn't that big and it hadn't changed. I mean, it was everything around it was still the same. It wasn't like they had developed something and cut it down. It was just in my mind's eye to a little kid. This was a huge forest and the truth was it's just a little clump of trees. But in my mind, it was different because I had pictured it different as a child. And you know what? You need to go back and rehearse your things and keep your memory sharp. This is just andeology, but I think this is the reason that some people have um, Alzheimer's and things like that is because they don't exercise their memory. They just, we are in a society that just sits here and vegetates and watches something else and somebody else does, and we don't use our brains. And it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, the thing gets out of whack. And it keeps you sharp to go back and remember these things. You need to stir up your minds, your imagination... By remembrance. First John chapter 5 verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding, that's the same Greek word, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I believe that your, your uh, imagination is a part of you understanding and knowing God. You have to use your imagination. You have to take what the Word says... 
and use your imagination to paint a positive picture, what the Bible calls hope, about what God can do for you. Amen? Let me just use some other scripture. I've got, I've got 30 pages worth of stuff here, and there's no way I'm going to cover it all. So let me just go through quickly and cover as much of this as I can. In Psalms chapter 31, verse 24, it says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. And again, I'm calling hope, based on what I've already said, a positive imagination. Hope is not just anticipation of good, but it's anticipating it to the point that you've meditated on it and you see good. And when you hope in the Lord, it will strengthen your heart. It says in Psalms chapter 33, verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy. Again, we need to have a hope that God is merciful to us, that things are going to turn out good. Many people live with a constant dread. They've been through rough things in their life. And they just anticipate bad. And you know what? Bad is going to come. We live in a fallen world and you will have problems. But you don't need to focus on that. We need to have a hope. And God, it says that His eyes are upon them that fear Him, upon those that hope in His mercy. And you need to be looking for the mercy of God. You need to anticipate the mercy of God. You need to see it. Look at this. It says in Psalms chapter 33 and verse 22, Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. That's pretty strong scripture. How many of you would like God's mercy to be upon you according to what you are envisioning and seeing? Some of you are saying yes. A bunch of you couldn't say yes. Because you know what? What you see in your heart is failure. You've let criticism of other people or circumstances and things paint a picture on the inside and you don't have an anticipation of good. You have a dread. You see a train wreck. You see problems ahead. That's the way that you imagine things. And it says God's hope is on you according to... I mean, God's mercy is upon you according... Let's see. Here's how it says it. Thy mercy, O God, be upon us according as we hope in Thee. And whether you know it or not, I believe that that is coming to pass on all of us. Man, here's a great passage. Psalms chapter 27 verse 13 says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not just in heaven... But in this land, if you, and this doesn't mention the name hope or imagination or anything like that, but I believe that this is involved in this, unless you can see that, praise God, you're going to win in this life, that the things God has promised you are going to come to pass, unless you have a vision of that, you're going to faint. And you put this together with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. Fainting takes place in your mind. It's according to your thought, or if you put all of these things together I've been talking about, it's according to that vision, that image that you have. If you see failure, if you see hardship, if you see suffering, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and you never get out of it. And somebody's probably thinking, but you know what? It's just reality. I'm not saying that we don't have problems and that people won't come out against us, but I'm saying that shouldn't occupy your vision. 
You should not be expecting this. This should not be what you are seeing. I'm not ignorant of the fact that people are going to persecute me. That's one of the reasons I love this song about that we were singing because, you know, it's a new morning. It's time to sing. And I forgot the exact wording, but it basically got to the point that I don't care what happens today. I want it to be that at the end of the day, I'm still going to be blessing the Lord, oh my soul. I'm not saying that problems don't happen, but you know what? I'm not anticipating going out with a whimper. I'm anticipating going out with a song. I'm anticipating being strong and healthy. Amen. I'm expecting an expected end. And I'm believing, and I see positive things. I'm not aware, I'm not thinking that there's not going to be any bumps in the road, but I'm going to still overcome them. You've got to be able to see like that. You'll faint unless you have a positive imagination. Unless you're able to start seeing God's will come into pass in your life, you will faint. You can come here and be encouraged and built up for a brief period of time, but you know what? It's not according to how you think right here. It's when you get back home and when you're on your own, how do you think? What do you see? What does your imagination do when you're by yourself? When nobody's around to encourage you, when the music's not playing, how do you think? How do you talk to yourself? What do you see? I believe that this right here is one reason that people don't experience more victory is because they they go through spurts where they get inspired, but they can't maintain this vision on their own. You've got to get to where you do it, and I'm I'm giving you some real practical things about how that happens. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20, Paul said this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He's telling you what his hope, what his vision was. He believed, his earnest expectation and hope was that he would never be ashamed, but that Christ would be magnified in him, whether it was life or death. He had a vision of that. And because of it, it came to pass. Boy, here's some great passages of Scripture. Three times in Psalms chapter 42 and 40, uh, 45, one time in, excuse me, Psalms chapter 42 twice and Psalms 43 once, it says, Why art thou cast down? This is Psalms 42, 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That same thing is repeated again in this same Psalms, verse 11, and then in the next Psalms, 43, 5. Three times right here it says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. This is saying very clearly that a person who is cast down, depressed, disquieted, because you aren't, don't have hope. Hope is the, uh, what do you call it? The antidote to depression. Hope is the antidote to all of these kind of things. And if you have hope, it just totally dispels all of this discouragement and despair. I'm not saying this to criticize anybody, but I am saying that if you are struggling with disappointment and discouragement and you're just barely hanging on by a thread, your problem is you don't have hope. You don't have a positive imagination. You've let the people in your church or the circumstances or the financial situations or who knows 
whatever else it is, but you've let something make you think in a way that is painting pictures of failure. You're seeing your church is never growing. You're seeing your church is never succeeding. You're seeing your eldership is always being against you. You're focused on all of these bad things. And again, bad things happen, but you can't focus on that and you can't let it change your image. You know, I've been through this process. It's three years ago, uh, September, that we bought that property in Woodland Park. Three years I've been going through the permit process and trying to do this. And we have had people malign us. We've had the homosexuals come out and protest us. And we've had uh, all kinds of things happen. And there was a time, I think it was December of 2011, if I'm not mistaken, just last year, that they came to me and said, the deal's off. The city said it's over. They aren't going to approve us. And, you know, I've had a bunch of things that were similar to that, but that one was pretty big. I mean, they just said that the city says it's over. Dead in the water. But you know what? That's not the vision that I had. That wasn't what I saw. And I had an opportunity to let the words of other people change the vision, change my image. And I remember telling them, I said, look, guys, and I asked, you know, what had happened. They told me what had happened. And I said, look, I don't know what the answer to this is, but I know this, that this is not going to be the outcome of this thing. This is not what I see. I said, there is a way through this. Figure it out. I didn't want to get down there and do it myself. I said, I don't know what the answer is, but I can guarantee you this thing is not dead. You just stick with it. There is a way through. And you know what? Within a week or two, things turned around and it was better than it was before. It turned out that if we hadn't had this trouble, we probably would have made an error in some of the things we were doing. And so it worked out to our good and things worked out. Amen? I was just talking with Pastor Derry and Karen Jolly and they had trouble building their building. And there was things that came up. And now in retrospect, they look back and, you know, some of those things were even of God because they would have built the building too small. They wouldn't have had enough things. And the city stepped in and did some things and it worked out to their advantage. But you know what? When these things come against you, there's a tendency for you to go, oh, no. And you see failure. And then you start meditating on what's everybody going to say? I've told everybody in the world. That we've got this new property and we're building this. And you, and you know what? If you start thinking that way, it paints a picture of failure on the inside of you that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I had meditated on this. I've walked that property. I've dreamed. I've seen this. And the image on the inside of me was so strong that I said, look, I don't know what the answer is, but this is not going to be the end result. I had fainted unless I had believed, unless I had a vision. And this is saying, why are you dismayed? Why are you disquieted? Why are you cast down? Because you don't have hope. If you have hope, when your hope is strong, it's just like, I don't care what happens. I don't care what anybody says. This is not what I see. And it takes some effort to get your imagination, your hope, established that way. It takes time. You have to go back and remember it. You have to live it. It has to take, it's like roots. You have to get rooted. It takes a while for these things to happen. And most people just do not give the effort to it. And so their vision can be changed real easy with just the slightest little bump in the road. They lose hope. And then guess what? 
Once you lose hope, you're cast down. You're disquieted. If, you're ca- if you just aren't excited about the future, you got a hope problem. It's not a deacon problem. It's not another church in the area problem. It's not all of the things that we sometimes attribute it to. You know what? If you aren't excited and have joy in things in believing, it's because you got a hope problem. Your hope has been diminished. And again, it is so easy to develop your hope, to just take the promises of God's word, meditate on them, which is involved in your imagination, and you just spend time dwelling on it and let the Holy Spirit supernaturally breathe and inspire these hopes and you start seeing things and then you rehearse it. You make landmarks if you have to. You do whatever. But you know what? You keep that hope alive and you will not be discouraged. I get a lot of criticism over this, but I believe that it is totally wrong for a believer to be depressed and defeated. I don't care what your circumstances are. And some people think, well, you aren't compassionate. You don't understand that people have been through tragic situations. Well, I'm not saying that we don't have problems, but I'm saying that God's supply is so infinitely greater than our problem that in comparison, we, that you shouldn't be depressed and discouraged. Amen? I said some of these things Sunday, if any of you were at my meeting at uh, Pastor Lawson's on Sunday, but, you know, it's like this song that we sing about there's just enough grace to, to lack... Just enough strength to last for today. And I understand what they're saying. I'm not trying to criticize the song. But man, I just, every time I sing that song, I say more than enough strength or plenty of strength. Because, you know what? The strength that God is making available to us isn't just enough to barely get you through the day. And at the end of the day, sure, I made another day. It's like trying to get a drink from Niagara Falls. It's just overwhelming. It's like... God's supply is so much greater than your need that I don't believe that Christians should be depressed and defeated and that you shouldn't just barely be getting by. If you are, it's because these verses, you do not have hope in the Lord. Your hope has been affected. You've been letting the words of other people paint a picture on the inside of you that's contrary to what God has told you to do. And that's the reason you aren't excited and that you don't have these things. Absolutely true. I believe that. I gave this, I gave this uh, illustration, but a friend of mine just lost his wife of 50 plus years and he was so hurting. hurting. I mean, they loved each other, spent all of their time together and uh, he was hurting so much that he just literally said he thought he wasn't going to be able to live. And so he just got before the Lord and cried out, God, I've got to have something. He cried out for God to touch him and God has touched his life so much that he told me, he says, Andrew, people think I'm crazy. They think I didn't love my wife. But he says, I am happier than I have ever been in my life. God's joy is so awesome. He says, it's a shame that I had to wait until his wife died to really draw close to the Lord. But he says, God is so awesome. He says, I'm happier than I've ever been. There is no problem in my life whatsoever. And did you know the average Christian would come along and condemn him? Something's wrong with you. You should be grieving. Well, that just depends. If you're dealing with it only in the human realm, well, then certainly everybody understands why you'd grieve of losing a mate or losing anybody. But man, if you draw next to God and if your hope is in the Lord, how could you not 
rejoice. I don't care what has happened, who has died. Thank you for those couple of head shakes. I'm a, I know most people don't agree with that, and that's because their hope is not in the Lord. I tell you, when you get joyful about the Lord, when you get to thinking about seeing the Lord and all the things He's done for us, it just makes the things of this world shrink to nothing. That's what Paul said. He says, you know, that the sufferings of this present world aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8, it's verse 17 or 18. It's not even worthy to be compared. If we were really focused on the Lord, and as Paul said, we have our conversation from heaven. And as he said, Second uh, Corinthians four eighteen, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. If we were really using our imagination, if we were in communion with the Lord, if we saw all that He had promised, instead of just thinking about what's happened to us in the past or what the future is going to be like, the negative things, if we were focused on what God has done, again, how could you not rejoice? Our future is so bright you've got to squint to look at it. It's awesome. There's just no excuse for us being defeated. Now again, I understand that sometimes it takes some effort for you to do that. But it's well worth the effort and praise God. If we were to see all of the good things of God, you'd be like the Apostle Paul that says, I'm in a strait between two. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, but it's more needful for you that I be here. But he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Doctor tells you you're going to die and you start crying. And yet you sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then he tells you that you're going and you start crying. Something's wrong with this. You know, there's another verse. I wish I had this in order. I'd have to look this up. But um, let me see if I can find some of these. I've got them grouped here. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. it says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If the only way you can envision God's goodness is in this life, you are of all men most miserable. You know, we need to let the Word of God paint a vision on the inside of us that yes, we expect victory in this life, but ultimately, man, we are going to live forever in eternity. Whatever we've suffered. You know, that was in that song that we were singing too about when we come to the end of this life. That man, for 10,000 years more, we're going to sing forever. And you've got to keep these things in balance. That regardless of how bad things get, it's just for a moment. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Just for a moment meant 30, 40 years. It's just for a moment. And he says it's just a light affliction. Some people think, well, that's the deal. Paul didn't have the problems I've got. <laughs> you can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read about his light afflictions. And his light afflictions were heavier than anybody's afflictions in here. 
And yet they were only light. Not because the problems were less, but because of the way he viewed it. He had a hope that was set in God. The very next verse, he says, we are looking at things that cannot be seen because everything that can be seen is temporal. But things that can't be seen are eternal. Paul told you why he was able to shrink his problems down to where it's just light affliction, being beaten and put in prison and, you know, afflicted more than any other person and being beaten with rods and being shipwrecked and thrown to the beast in Ephesus and all of these things. It's just light affliction. It's no big deal. You know, because he had such a goal in front of him that it just wasn't that big of a deal compared to what he was seeing. You know, to a degree, I've done these things. I'm not saying I've arrived, but I've lived. But just like I was talking about this building process that we've been going through, there's a number of times that they said it's over. It won't work. You can't do it. And then on top of that, $20 million I've got to come up with debt-free. How do you do all of these things? You know what? I could have let words and circumstances paint a picture to me. And yet I just had an image of this thing getting done, seeing it done. And it has kept me through. I haven't lost sleep over this deal. I haven't worried about it. I haven't obsessed. And it's because of hope. It's because I have taken what God has shown me. I've meditated on it. And I can testify that it is not a struggle. The reason it's hard to stay the course is because you actually see failure. You're anticipating failure. That's the image that you have. And yet you're trying to take the word and confess differently and you're doing the faith works. But inside, you're expecting failure. You see dread. You see a train wreck. And that's the reason that it's hard on you. When you have a strong hope on the inside, it's just like it makes it so that it's just water off the duck's back. It's not very hard. Amen? We don't spend enough time developing our hope. And seeing these things. Uh, hope comes from the word of God. Man, I've got a... There's about four or five scriptures here in Psalms 119. For time's sake, let me just jump down. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The scriptures give you hope. In a lot of ways. When you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will take those words and make them just come alive on the inside of you. And once God speaks to you, once God says something to you and it becomes a rhema word to you, hope is just an inevitable byproduct of it. So you've got to be in the Word of God. You can't listen to the junk of this world 24 hours a day and have hope. They are peddling fear and doubt and depression and discouragement. If you aren't discouraged, it's because you aren't paying attention or you have your mind stayed on the Lord, one of the two. And so it comes through the scripture is how uh, hope comes. And so the Holy Spirit will quicken things to you. Plus, you can go back and see other people and see how they endured things and God brought them through. And compared to what they went through, your problem is nothing. Man, if God could part the Red Sea, if God could do all of these things, certainly He could provide the miracle that you need. And it just builds hope on the inside of you. The sad thing is most of us are too plugged into this world and we're listening to all of the bad stories and you hear the stories about these Christians that went out and claimed this and failed and you focus on that and fear takes hold of you instead of looking at the positive examples in the Word of God. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This links your hope to the covenants of promise. If you don't have the promises, if you aren't in the word of God, you don't have any hope. And then the end result of that is it's like not having God in this world. If you are without hope, you are without God. Faith only produces what hope has already set the standard for. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And so hope, again, comes from these immutable things. The fact that God swore with an oath and confirmed it. That's where our faith is. And I think it's in verse 19. I didn't print this out, but I think it's the next verse. or It's, it's there in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Man, there's a lot in that verse. You know, if you cast an anchor out of a ship, it's got to hit some rocks or it's got to get lodged in the bottom. It's got to anchor to something or you'll be driven. Even though you cast the anchor out, if it doesn't catch on anything, it won't hold you. But our anchor is into that within the veil, which is where the Word of God was, into the very presence of God. We are Hope anchors us with God and keeps you from being blown about and tossed with every wind of doctrine and all of the junk that the world is throwing at you. Man, we've got to have a strong hope. And I'm out of time. And I've still got about seven or eight pages left here. But, praise God, we got tomorrow night if you will show up. We will continue this tomorrow night. And I've got some really good things to share with you. On this, But I just pray that God is speaking to you through this and you're recognizing how important it is to take the Word of God and let it minister to you and get your imagination involved to where you see God's promises come to pass and God's promises are more real to you than what anybody else has to say. Let me give one last thing and I'll, I'll quit with this, maybe. Quick. Some of you heard me say this, but I went for a physical a number of years back. My board made me do it so we could take out an insurance on this building and stuff. And I went for this physical, and I took one of these EKG things, and they you know, put these things on your chest, and they were going to shave the hair on my chest. And I told them, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. <laughs> so I talked them out of shaving the hair on my chest, and they tried to stick these things to my chest. And I got on this treadmill and about, I don't know, I went 15 minutes. I went the full length of the thing and I started sweating and those things started falling off. So I was holding two of them and the nurse was holding two of them and the doctor was holding two of them as I was jogging. And I had witnessed to them, told them about my son that was raised from the dead. And man, they were just listening to all this. And then at the end, he got to reading my thing. And when he got to the 12 minute and 30 something second spot he started grunting and groaning and he took this thing out and he wrote down he says here's an address of a guy you go over there don't you go back to your office you go to him before you go anywhere we're going to run more tests on you we may put you in the hospital and you might have open heart surgery before the day is over you've got a serious heart problem 
And I just looked at this guy and it took me a minute to process it. And I said, that's a lie. You know, I didn't mean to tell him that was a lie. I just, that's just what came up out of me. That's not the vision that I had. And I said, that's a lie. I don't believe that. And he just looked at me like he wasn't used to people telling him he lied, I guess. I said, that's a lie. And he says, I said, you look at that piece of paper and tell me that I've got a serious heart problem. He says, well, he says, at this point, he showed it to me. He says, you were one one hundredth of a point off of being totally normal. And he says, sometimes people's hearts are different. You could be totally healthy. But it was abnormal in this one spot. And he says, I just think we ought to get it tested. I said, that's not what you told me. You told me I had a serious heart problem. I said, you lied to me. And I said, I reject this. I condemn this diagnosis. And I was, and this guy, he just tore the piece of paper up and he said, leave. (laughs) And he flunked me and I couldn't get insurance. So I had to go to our, we got a board member that's a surgeon in, um, Shreveport and I went down to Shreveport and he ran, he ran nuclear stress test on me where they put this dye in you and do stuff. And he says, those treadmill tests are 50% wrong. He says, don't ever believe a treadmill test. They're wrong as often as they're right. And he ran this nuclear test and he says, I got the heart of a 17 year old. He says, you're healthy as a horse. There's no problem. But did you know what? If I hadn't had a vision, if I hadn't meditated on the word and if I didn't see myself well, I would have let those words start painting a negative image and Satan could have done something to me. And I tell you, I'm I'm not saying this, trying to pat myself on the back, but I am saying I'm strong in this area and most Christians are weak when it comes to physical things. And if a doctor was to say, say something, you would fall apart like a $2 suitcase because you, their image paints more of a picture to you than the Word of God does. And that's the problem. You need to get strong in the Word of God. Amen. We'll be dismissed. Come back in 10 or 15 minutes.